In our gospel that was just proclaimed, St. Peter fails to see why Jesus must undergo his passion. So Jesus is explaining, I'm going to have to suffer and die. And he doesn't like what he's hearing. He doesn't like what he's hearing because, I, you know, nobody likes to suffer and he doesn't want to see Jesus suffer, but he's also afraid if Jesus suffers, he might have to suffer too. So this whole suffering business is not something that we want. Jesus is going to undergo his passion and suffer, though, because it will save Peter. And so when Peter says, don't do it, don't do it, Jesus is saying, you have no idea what you're doing here. You're undermining your own salvation. Peter, you're not God. You can't see the big picture. Peter assumes that suffering is a result of some kind of an injustice, which it is true. It's called sin. That something is wrong and that the suffering needs to stop. And that is true in many cases, and in many cases it's not true. It is true that something is wrong when we suffer. It's just that our view of the cause and effect, that our view, our ability to see the cause and the effect, isn't broad enough to understand how God can use it for some greater good. Sometimes that's true, though. Sometimes we can see where if I go and I get straight A's in school and make all the sacrifices to do my homework and all of those things, then I can go on to become, I don't know, a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. And then I can have a great, wonderful career and people can think wonderful things of me. So the sacrifices to get there are worth it. But what happens when we can't see how the sacrifices are worth it? So it makes sense that Peter would be upset about our Lord's impending suffering and want to fix what he can't see. We all do the same, don't we? Don't we ask God to take away our suffering and our suffering of others? When we are suffering, we, we deign, we lower ourselves to pray. Oh, geez, now I'm going to need to pray. God, please take away my suffering. Please give me what I want. Thanks. All right, and then God doesn't do it. And then we think, well, then I'm not going to pray to you anymore. Is if we were doing God any favors by just asking God to be our slave and our servant, when in reality it should be the other way around, that we need to be God's slave and servant. We need to be waiting on God, not God waiting on us. But we like to think we're God. We're like, oh, no, I'm God. I'm equal with you, God. No, we're not. We're not even remotely close. So, where do we go from here? Sacrifice is ultimately offered for God, for His glory. So people enter into prayer and they go, Oh, my prayer is dry. I go to Mass and I don't get anything out of it, so I'm not going to go anymore. Really? Is that why we go to Mass? Is so I can get something out of it? Or do I go to Mass for God's glory? And the answer is, I go for His glory. If I went to Mass and I just suffered and felt, I got nothing out of that. And I didn't like the homily and I, well, I didn't like what I experienced there. And, and I'm going to begrudge it. Then we definitely got nothing out of it and God got nothing out of us. What if we went to Mass and we didn't like the homily, we didn't like the music, we didn't like the people, we didn't like the atmosphere of the place, we didn't like the time of the Mass, etc. And we did it anyway and we graciously and happily offered it all up to God. Well, then God loves that. God loves it. When I can go into prayer and I go, God, Lord, I am struggling to focus. This feels so dry. I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this. But I love you, Lord, and I'm going to keep praying and praying and praying. Because my prayer is actually not about getting what I want. It's about loving you and glorifying you. 
And you can do what you want with my petitions. You can answer them or not answer them. That's not up to me, and I don't care. It's entirely up to you. Then we've become saints. Then we've become saints. Is it special for a parent when a child, a small child, is playing on the carpet with their toys and they just suddenly stop, crawl up into your laps, give you a hug and a kiss and tell you I love you, and then descend from your lap and go down and play their toys again? Parents love that stuff. They love that. For the child, they're thinking, well, I don't want to take a break from my playing. And when you get down to like a two-year-old or whatever, they don't even want to take a break to, for a potty break. They're like, oh, I want to hold it as long as I can so I can keep playing and playing and playing. And then just dash to the bathroom and just get this over with. And da, 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 da. We have to learn over a lifetime. The sacrifices and the accompanying suffering that goes with it can be incredibly good. Don't dads and moms go off to jobs that they don't like? And maybe they do it for years or decades to provide for their family. They don't really like what they do. Maybe they don't like their boss, or maybe you're a boss and you don't like your employees, or you just don't like your coworkers, or again, it's just whatever, but you do it out of love for your family. And hopefully you do it without complaining. Instead, you even become grateful for that job because as you look around the world, you realize that 50% of the world's population is unemployed and will never get a meaningful job. They would love to get the job that you hate. They would love it. But they don't live in this country or in this place. All those help wanted signs and all those fast food restaurants and all those convenience stores across America. Boy, if we're anywhere in Africa or Latin America or Asia, there'd be no help wanted signs anywhere. There are lines of people to take the one minimum wage job that's open. But we just get to this place where we just forget what a blessing it is to have the opportunity to make sacrifices and to suffer for love. Love of the people that we love and love of the God that we love. And we'll only get one shot at it. One shot. I was at Mount Angel yesterday and they they had their solemn profession. They had five monks who were solemnly professed. What that means is, so, so you understand, many of you don't, When you go into a monastery or religious order, a lot of you think, well, that's it. You know, on that day they entered, they took solemn vows, and they can never leave again, and their whole life is fixed in in that one place and location. It's not how it works. You go in and you go through a series of phases called the postulancy, which lasts months, and then after that you take these simple little vows, and then you go through the novitiate, and after that you take more vows, and then you go into uh, a simple profession or temporary vows, um, and then that lasts for three years or something, and then or six, and then after the end of that, then you make your solemn final vows, and you vow yourself to that community for the rest of your life, and the community vows itself to you for the rest of your life, and it takes years to reach solemn profession, just like seminarians. You don't go to the seminary on day one and get ordained a priest. It takes years before you get there. And sacrifices all along the way. But at solemn vows yesterday at Mount Angel, there were five monks who made solemn vows. They were finished with their formation. They're now in that monastery for the rest of their lives. God help them. 
During the offertory, all five of them laid down on the floor and they laid up in a line down the aisle. And they're all wearing their black habits. They laid face down on the ground. And then a monk laid black sheets over every one of them. They literally looked like corpses laying on the ground while the the altar was prepared and the bread and the wine were being offered. This is before the Eucharistic prayers, etc. And the symbolism is inescapable. They're dying. They have given their lives completely to God. They come to the monastery to die for Jesus. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And again, for the probably the 500 people packed into that church, man, you could not mistake the symbolism of what they are doing. They were going to go to Calvary and die for Jesus. And it was a beautiful thing. Truly a beautiful thing. Because their life will be over in the blink of an eye. So will mine and yours. And once it ends, there is no more sacrificing or suffering for God and his glory. We might suffer in purgatory, but that's for our own sins and and our own remorse, etc. But what can we actually do for God? Well, whatever it is, it's going to have any merit. It's going to naturally involve sacrifice and suffering. And then we'll die and we'll never get to sacrifice and suffer for God again. One might go to hell where they absolute misery, but they won't be doing it for God. They'll go into purgatory maybe, and even there experience absolute misery, but they'll be doing it to atone for their sins in this life. They'll be doing it for them. And then for those who are in heaven, they can't experience suffering anymore. If they're given a work or a task to do, it feels awesome. It feels awesome. There's no more, see how much I love you. That's only in this life. And this life for all of us in the measure of eternity is ending by the time you blink your eye. So, in this life, do we have it within us to stop playing with our toys and to get up into dad and mom's lap and hug them and tell them to love them? We don't have much time. Peter and the apostles will learn these things. They don't have it now. Peter's telling Jesus, don't do your thing. And Jesus is saying, get behind me, saying, you have no idea. You cannot see God's big picture, Peter. In time, you'll see more and more of it. But for now, you can't. You have to trust me that I have to lay down my life for you. And you, Peter, are going to have to lay down your life for me. And Peter, after witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus, after witnessing his resurrection, after having the infusion of the Holy Spirit upon him at Pentecost, he will begin to grow by leaps and bounds in his faith and in the sacrifices that accompany his faith. And Peter will go on to raise people from the dead. He will become a mighty saint in word and deed. And so will the other apostles. And one day, Peter will die crucifixion upside down for Jesus without any complaining. Proud to do it for Jesus. No more complaining. All for you, Jesus. And where is Peter now? 
He reigns with the other saints and the angels in everlasting glory. But while he was on earth, he had to surrender to the reality that there must be sacrifice and suffering for God, for God's glory first and foremost, and then the salvation of souls. And so today Jesus is asking all of us, hey, are you going to impede me on my mission or are you going to help me? Am I going to have to tell you to get behind me, Satan, when you complain about whatever you complain about? It's a good thing, like coming to Mass, volunteering in the parish, praying at home, sharing the faith with relatives. Are you going to complain and begrudge that? Or are you going to be grateful for the opportunity? Are you going to see only the pain, or are you going to see some of the glory? For the five monks yesterday, what they saw underneath that black death shroud would have been heaven. That this life is given to God for his glory. And all of the, the longings and the happiness will be in the next life. They'll experience some in this life. You can't help it. But that's not their focus. It's God. And it's getting people to heaven. And I'll be happy in the next life. And in this life... It's to be given away freely and beautifully. So we hear all of these truths and we're challenged by it and inspired by it. And by the grace of God, we leave here today wanting to sacrifice and to suffer for him because we love him. And one day, and one day very soon, every one of us will share in the glory that is awaiting us. And hopefully, with his little remorse for our failure to serve him in this life, because this is the only shot we've got.